Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. Let's stand up. Sing about this love that we have for the Father and love that He has for us. Destiny's going to lead us. Here we go. I was going down, thought it was for the count. Then I found your love. I had wandered off, thought I had gone too far. There I found your love. song today. It's called Build My Life. It's been on uh, just top of charts for a little while. Let's sing as Joey leads us. Worthy of every song you could ever Sing worthy right here. Worthy of every song. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Oh, we live for you Jesus, the name above every other name 
foundation. I'll put my trust in you alone and I will not be shaken. That's why we come back to church, gang, to be reminded of that, to just put God first in everything that we do and to give him uh, that first place in our lives. So glad you've decided to do that today. And if you haven't, if you're just on the arm of a friend, we're glad you're here too and pray that uh, something of God's uh, holiness, God's character uh, would be very real to you today, whether it's um, You just need to believe deeper or you just need to have an experience with God that is so very deep. That's our prayer. Glad you're here. Hey, uh, while you're standing, uh, take just a second uh, and what we'll need to do uh, is scoot in just a little bit to make some room for more guests. Scoot in towards center so we got some black chairs available on the sides and say hi to somebody around you. Thanks. Good morning. Good morning, Hope Vale. All right. How's everybody this morning? My name's Elaine Carls. Uh, I'm just a layperson here at Hopevale. I've been here almost 25 years, my husband and I. And uh, I serve in a couple of outside these walls ministries, including the Open Table, which is 
uh, a couple of groups of really committed people here at Hopevale who are serving youth aging out of foster care. And I also am a mentor mom, I'm a grandma now, so I'm a mentor mom in JUMP, which is the journey of moms of preschoolers. And they have not met in the last two times because of the polar vortex. So a shout out to all of you who have been cooped up. Thank God you're out here this morning into this wonderful light. I want to especially welcome you if you're a newcomer to Hopevale today. Uh, please, after the service, go out to the welcome desk. There's a little gift for you out there. All of us here at Hopevale want to welcome you in God's name uh, to this beautiful place where we worship the Lord this morning. So just welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Elaine. Hey, ushers. Yeah. Hey, ushers, come on forward, and uh, we're going to take this morning's offering together. And um, this is a time for that uh, What would, when uh, Hopevale calls... Uh, yeah. Oh, I thought was I supposed to do it? Yeah, right now. Okay, we're hi. We're going to let Elaine do it. So, so I'm a lay person. This is the first time on the podium, so uh, just lead us in a word of prayer. At Hopevale, uh, we give with open hearts and open hands as our uh, a part of our worship and praise to the Lord. Uh, if you're new to Hopevale, um, Feel free to let the, the plate pass by. Our, our tithes and offerings are a gift to the Lord that we give freely. And, uh, and if you call Hopevale home, we, we invite you to join in this, this part of our worship. Heavenly Father, we just open our hearts and our hands to you this morning. Giving of our, of our resources, which you have so richly provided to us, and asking you to use these resources here at Hopevale for our many ministries and outside these walls and around the world to spread the good news that Jesus is real. Thank you so much, Lord, and bless those who give in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Elaine. I'll have you lead worship, too, if you're open for it. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, remain seated just for a little while. And uh, we'll get you up when it's time while we're giving. We're going to sing this song, uh, Oh, Come to the Altar. It's a great one. Um, ask some good questions. And uh, it's a reminder of our forgiveness in Jesus Christ and what this reason we gather on Sundays is all about, friends. We celebrate our salvation and we celebrate our hope that we have for an eternal um, home in heaven. So let's sing this song together. Melody, if you take us in. Precious blood of Jesus Christ. 
story of the cross, being reminded of that again. And for those of us who followed you for some time, uh, there's a comfort in that. And uh, stealing from Pastor Dan's words last week, there's an encouragement and a comfort in that. And then we sing a last lyric like, tell the, tell the world of the treasure you found. There's, an, there's a, an exhortation in that. There's a challenge in that. We got to be doing that. And if we look inside and think about who we telling uh, of the treasure that we found in you, I think it's fair to say that uh, we've all got a little work to do. So um, we want to dig in today in an appropriate way. For those of us who need comfort and for those of us who need challenge, we pray that uh, you would bring that through your spirit's power. And God, uh, we release ourselves and open ourselves to that today and to you. It's in your na holy name that we pray. We all say together, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Great to be with you on this incredible morning of worship together. Want to welcome those of you in Bay City as well. Great to have you along as we continue on in our series in 1 John called Confidence in the Chaos. And in light of this series, I want to tell you about something coming up in a couple weeks, okay? Two Sundays from now, Sunday, February 24th, is going to mark halftime in our series. We'll, we will have had six weeks behind us with six more weeks in front of us. So on that middle Sunday, in addition to communion, which is you know last Sunday of the month, we're also going to have a Q&A time from 1 John. We've been going through this series. Uh, a lot of people are digging into the book of 1 John. We've got groups talking about what God is showing them. And this has been great, but we're also finding that there are questions, really good questions that people have. And so we thought that this would be a great time that Sunday to take some time and answer as many of those questions as we can. Now, if you want to submit a question, you know, you can write that off on our bulletin, either on the tear-off sheet or just the entire bulletin. Write it, drop it off at our welcome centers on both campuses. We'll accumulate those and, again, try to get to as many as we can. And then, as well, uh, that Sunday is going to be a great time for you to sign up for our next round of six-week First John discussion group. So we're winding down the first session. This is week five of week six. Some great things are happening with that. We've got 15 discussion groups on top of our 55 community groups, and we're going to be continuing and launching new ones in March. And so if you're interested in that, you can talk to people out in the lobby at both campuses as well. So that's what's coming up. Uh, today, though, as we continue to work our way through First John, I want to ask you a personal question. And it's a pretty intense one, so this isn't the kind of thing where I'm going to have you raise your hand or shout out your answer. Think this to yourself, but, you know, do give it some thought. And the question is this, uh, have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been betrayed and how did it feel? That when somebody in your life that you've known and trusted and grown close to over the years suddenly and unexpectedly breaks that trust and your hearts. That ever happened to you? Maybe it was a loyal friend who turned out to be a backstabber. Maybe it was a caring classmate or a coworker that you confided in, right? Just opened up your heart, but then they later spread your secret to everyone in the school, in the workplace, to your shame and embarrassment. 
Maybe it was a longtime business partner, somebody that the two of you built something special from scratch, but later on they squandered your investment, they pulled up stakes, and they started their own competing business. Or maybe it was a spouse, a significant other, the love of your life, that in the past, after getting hurt in so many relationships before, this is the one that finally worked. And so gradually, over time, you opened up your heart to them like never before. You became incredibly vulnerable, and you shared many wonderful years together until that one day you stumbled upon those texts, those letters, those credit card receipts, and you found out that you weren't the only one. Have you ever been betrayed? Or or maybe it was an inner circle disciple who acted all nice and spiritual, but eventually sold out his Lord with a phony kiss of friendship for just 30 pieces of silver. Quite frankly, there are few experiences as devastating as betrayal. And for those of us who have gone through that and felt it deeply, I think we would all agree that betrayal produces chaos. Betrayal produces chaos in our lives and around us, right? And one of the reasons I bring up this whole concept of betrayal is that betrayal is one of the subplots surrounding the book of 1 John. Now, we've already seen a glimpse of that in our series, right, where John confronts these supposed spiritually enlightened leaders, right, the ones that he calls liars. Remember that? But with today's passage, it's going to get even more intense. And so knowing this background of betrayal helps us understand what we're going to see today. And it's like I said last week in the Bible, right, that the Bible isn't a reference book of alphabetized factoids. No, the Bible was written in context, the context of history and personality and relationships, so that in 1 John, we have the Apostle John, this actual eyewitness to the real history of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And he is sharing through his unique personality in the context of a pastoral relationship with younger Christians who are under his care. My point is this, that 1 John is a book involving real people just like you and me. People who have genuine human emotions and messy relational dynamics, including betrayal. And so knowing that betrayal is one of the big undercurrents of what we're going to read today, let's go ahead and see what John says next in his letter. If you have a Bible with you, paper or electronic, join me in John 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Today we're going to begin with verse 18. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Here is what John writes. Dear children. Now remember, we've seen this is his address, his fond address to these younger Christians under his care. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. One verse, a lot of words, bam. I mean, so much to unpack here, right? So here's John, he refers to the Antichrist. Not only that, but then he also refers to Antichrist, plural, And then on top of that, he talks about the last hour of when they are living. All these phrases having to do with the end times, right? And here's the thing. This isn't even his main point. This is just the setup to talk about what he's going to talk about. But even still, before we go on, because there's so much here, I think we need to take a little time and dive into what this means. Like that term, the Antichrist, right? This biblical expression for a specifically extremely evil and powerful person who's going to appear on the world stage sometime in the future. The Apostle John talks about the Antichrist both in 1 John and 2 John. He also refers to him as the beast in the book of Revelation. And then the Apostle Paul mentions this individual in 2 Thessalonians calling him the man of lawlessness. Now, if you've been in the church scene for a while, you've probably heard that term, the Antichrist, right? 
That between the Left Behind series, between maybe numerous Christian TV programs you watch, there are some circles within the church that not only talk a lot about the Antichrist, but ones who actually go so far as to speculate who that person might be. You ever heard any of that? Now, I'm going to date myself here, right? But as a younger Christian decades ago, I heard high-profile Christians teach that the Antichrist was maybe... Uh, former Soviet leader Mikhail Gorbachev, or the late Iraqi President Saddam Hussein. I even heard that it could have been the former, the artist formerly known as Prince, right? Heard that. Maybe something against the color purple. I, I don't know. But um, even today, though, you know, it still goes on, and you hear Bible teachers bring up names like Vladimir Putin, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, or whoever the latest pope is, in this case, Pope Francis, right? People all speculating who this person might be, but as much as we want to know who the Antichrist is or is going to be, all these misguided predictions distract us from what we do know about this individual according to the Bible. That sometime in the future, in an unexpected way, one that we're probably not going to predict and really shouldn't waste our time on, there will be this prominent world ruler who is empowered by Satan whose job will be to oppose Christians and seek to depose the one true king, Jesus Christ. This is what we do know about this individual. But in this verse, here's the thing. John isn't focusing on the big A Antichrist. No, he is rather mentioning the small A Antichrist here. Right? That's what he's concerned about, right? These so-called spiritual leaders that we've seen already who stand in opposition to the Jesus that John knew. And they were aggressively, persuasively, deceptively undermining the message of his gospel. I mean, it's really simple. Anti-Christ against Christ. It's what it means. And so John goes on to tell them in this verse that because these opponents, these antichrists are out there, because this is going on, they can know that they are in the quote-unquote last hour, right? Last hour, I mean, what does John mean by that, right? Did he believe the end was near? Did he believe that Jesus was going to come back in his lifetime? Well, the term last hour, uh, here and maybe in other places, you see the expression last days, refers to the era of history that they were in. But actually, not just them, also us. That according to the Bible, we are in this same era of history that I touched on last week. That after the first coming of Jesus to this earth, all that is left in history is for Jesus to come back again and finish what he started. Finish what he started to complete his kingdom, his rule, his reign over everything that he commenced with his death, burial, and resurrection. See, that first time, that's when Jesus defeated Satan and the powers of evil, but they have not yet been destroyed. Right? We live between that, right? That tension, Satan and the power of evil being defeated, but not yet destroyed. And so in this last hour, John wants Christians both then and now to not be surprised when we experience spiritual opposition by any means possible, opposition that is going to discredit the genuine hope we have in Jesus Christ. All that to say, in this opening verse, this is John's warning to us, saying, Dear children, what I'm going to talk about is serious business, so you need to pay attention. So that is the setting, verse 18. But now, here are the specifics, verse 19. They, who are the they? These antichrists, small antichrists, right? Went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So here is where we see the betrayal. Right? There is this group of former influential members who are part of the church that, that John is addressing here. And, and people that John no doubt cared for and nurtured in the faith, right? There's some relational tie there. But they leave the flock. They do their own thing because they are truly convinced that they know better than John when it comes to spiritual matters. Not only that, but in their leaving, in their betrayal, 
we're going to see that even though they are no longer part of the church, they are creating havoc within the church because they are persuading others to come along and join them. Now imagine that, problems in a church. Good thing that doesn't happen today, right? (laughs) See, here's what blows me away. I mean, you've got the Apostle John. I mean, if anyone should be leading a thriving, problem-free church, you think it would be John. You think it would be one of Jesus' three closest friends, right? Wrong. See, at risk of sounding paranoid, because we are in the last hour, there are real unseen spiritual forces of evil that are working through people against the church to undermine Jesus Christ and the good news of his gospel. In John's case back then in the first century, it was these smooth-talking spiritual leaders who are no longer part of the church, and they're persuading their friends in John's church that they, not John, had the inside track with God. Spiritual opposition is real, and it'll attack not only from without, but also from within. And so given this betrayal, given this denial, given this potential church implosion, how does John respond? Verse 20, but you, he's addressing the church now, you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. How does John try to protect his flock here? To be honest, it's not how I would have done it were I, John. See, I mean, I I would have said, you know, listen, guys, I've got these I'm friends with Jesus credentials. I'm going to flex my apostolic muscle. I would tell them, don't listen to those frauds, right? Who left the church, listen to me, right? But that's not what John does here. No, he doesn't make it about himself. And how special he is. No, he makes it about them. These Christians who are still part of his church and how special they are. All of them. And look at how he does it. He says, listen, all of you have an anointing from the Holy One. This is John's way of referring to the Holy Spirit who indwells every Christian believer at the moment of their conversion. God, the Holy Spirit, lives in them. And listen, if you know Jesus Christ personally as your Savior and Lord, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you as well. He does. And so why does that matter? Well, John goes on to tell us, he says, because you have the Holy Spirit, all of you know the truth. You do. The truth about God, the truth about Jesus, the truth about real spiritual enlightenment. I'm not writing to you because you do not know the truth. You know, the Holy Spirit's in you. No, I'm writing to you because you do know The truth. And no lie, what they're preaching comes from the truth. See, John wants us to know that because the Holy Spirit lives in us, we possess this incredible ability to discern spiritual truth. Discern spiritual truth, no matter how persuasive and knowledgeable someone else might sound, we can still figure out the difference between truths and lies. Now, as John says all this, he no doubt has in mind the very words of Jesus that he recorded in his biography of Jesus, the Gospel of John. It's this scene where we see Jesus huddled up with his disciples, John included. Jesus knows that his life is nearing the end and that there is going to be a time when he hands off his kingdom mission to this ragtag group of men. They're eventually going to take over. And so Jesus says to them, John 16, verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. When I'm out of the scene, when I've ascended to the Father and the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth and he will not speak on his own. No, he's only going to speak what he hears, right? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit in Trinity, right? The Spirit obeying, listening to the Father and the Son. And the Spirit will tell you what is yet to come, that the Holy Spirit of God is the spirit of truth, the spirit of reality. And so one of his biggest jobs then and now is to guide Christians into all the truth, to be able to discern between what is counterfeit and what is real. This is his way of saying, don't overesteem them and don't underestimate yourself, right? Because you do have the Holy Spirit, you can figure it out. You can figure out right from wrong, truth from lies, no matter how enticing and appealing their words might sound. This is a pep talk 
rooted in truth. You got this, he tells them, you are not alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. You can stand, don't be pulled in by their lies. Now, going back to these defectors, what is it that they were actually teaching that made them so dangerous in John's eyes, so much so that he referred to them as Antichrist? And likewise, what do we need to watch out for? Well, John goes on to explain, verse 22. Who is the liar? It is whoever who denies that Jesus is the Christ. The Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of mankind, denying that Jesus is who he said he was and who he proved himself to be. Right? Go back. Stay with that. Such a person is the Antichrist. And why are they, are they the Antichrist? Because they deny the Father and the Son. Verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So here's the issue. Ready? These false teachers were trying to separate knowing God from knowing Jesus. Pulled them apart, separate the two, knowing God and knowing Jesus. They leave John's church, they're peddling this new alternative spirituality of how you can connect with God, how you can become enlightened. But in doing so, they were diminishing the role that Jesus plays, diminishing the calling that Jesus has to bridge the gap, to be the only one who can bridge the gap between us and God. In other words, they wanted to go a la carte where you can have God the Father, but you don't need God the Son, right? And John says, no, it doesn't work that way. It's a combo package. Knowing God and knowing Jesus, they go together. You can't separate the two. And that right there, people, is the essence of Christianity, right? Can you imagine how infuriating this must have been for John? Not only the betrayal, but also the denial. Because we're not talking just about two parties having a physical or a philosophical disagreement. That's not what's going on here. No, there's much more at stake. And it's like I've said throughout this series, and I'll continue to say it until I'm blue in the face, that John was there. He saw it all. He saw Jesus still the storms, heal the sick, drive out demons, multiply meals, raise the dead. This isn't some magician. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus, who wasn't afraid to lay it on the line with words like these, right? From the Gospel of John, chapter 14. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no end around. There's no a la carte spirituality where you can connect with God apart from me. Verse 7, look at what he says here. If you really know me, Jesus, you will know my Father as well. From now, on him, from now on you do know him and you have seen him. So what Jesus says elsewhere, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. What a bold, audacious claim, right? And yet Jesus backed up every single word he said. And the resurrection is proof of that. The empty tomb is proof of that. It's a combo package. God the Father and God the Son. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. If you really know him, who is God in the flesh, you will know the Father as well. And see, what was true back then is still true today. That what you believe about God matters, but what you believe about Jesus matters most. You know, I look around our culture today and there's a lot of spiritual talk. Talk about God, talk about believing in God, right? And so on the one hand, I find that encouraging, and on the other hand, if you read what John says here, I also find that it's not enough. It's not, it is not enough to believe in God generically. No, it's about believing in Jesus specifically. This is the real test of truth, John says. And to be honest, if I've got to make a choice between the two, I'm going with the guy who actually saw the risen Christ on numerous occasions. Right? No one who denies the Son has the Father, John says, but whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. That's what's at stake. It is the core of the Christian faith. And so John, after exposing their lies, he flips back to encouraging this church in the truth. Verse 24. 
as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning. What's from the beginning? From the beginning of the story of Jesus. The original gospel message, heaven coming down to earth and taking over in real life history. What you have heard from the beginning, be sure that that remains in you. Because if it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, theme word for the the series, eternal life. Let that hope remain in you, as other Bible translations say, let that hope abide in you. And as you do, you will relationally remain, abide with God the Son and God the Father. It is both so simple and yet incredibly profound and personal, this remaining, this abiding Because it is there in the remaining that we experience eternal life, John says. Eternal life, that capital L life now and that capital L life forever. The kind of life that can only be found through the forgiveness of sins and fellowship with the one true God. See, this is what Jesus promised to John. It's what he promises to the Christians back then and what he promises to us today. Right, that we don't need to be searching for anything more. It's all right there when we remain, when we abide with Jesus. That's why John says, verse 26, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Right? Watch out, don't be fooled that beyond their charm, beyond all their flattery, it's pulling you away from the truth of Jesus. They're only trying to lead you astray. Well, one more verse, and this is John instilling these vulnerable Christians with confidence, right? Confidence amidst all the chaos and the confusion that was swirling around them. Verse 27, as for you, the anointing, back to this, the Holy Spirit that you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. Now, this is a little confusing verse, right? I mean, John's not against human teachers. He's not against spiritually gifted people, to build up the church, right? I mean, after all, that's what John is doing here, teaching. So he's not saying, you know, you don't need any kind of human teachers, but this is what he is saying, that the spirit within you is a far better teacher of truth than anyone else around you. The spirit of truth within you is a far better teacher than anyone else around you. Any human figure, you know, I'm throwing myself in that equation, any book you read, any TV program you watch, any podcast you down, right? The spirit of truth within you is a far better teacher of truth than anyone else around you, no matter how convincing they sound. And John goes on, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, see the contrast? This is the real stuff, not their counterfeit junk, right? Just as it has taught you, remain in him, him being Jesus. Remain in, listen, it happened back then, it still happens today. Persuasive people who are trying to tell you, trying to sell you that they possess the real secret, right? To super spiritual connection with God. A secret that either discredits Jesus or bypasses him altogether. But John says, you don't need those counterfeits. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got the one who guides you into all truth. The one who helps you remain in Jesus and abide with him. That is your connection with God. That's where you will experience eternal life with him, with your creator, both now and forever. So remain in Jesus, John says. Now talk about confidence. It's not about how much you know. It's about how much you've been given. And all that God the Father has given you through his Son and through his Spirit, this is where we find our confidence. Now listen, I know, I'm speaking to a group like this, I know that there are a lot of us who feel like we don't know a lot, don't know much about God, don't know much about Jesus, don't know much about the Bible. That our lack of knowledge can sometimes make us feel really insecure. And all it takes is one bad day where our faith gets rattled, one challenging questions where we don't know the answer and we begin to wonder. We begin to doubt. Maybe they're right. Maybe this Jesus stuff isn't real. I mean, how can I really be sure? I got to believe some of that was going on back in John's time with these younger, more vulnerable Christians, right? 
I mean, as far as we can tell, the Apostle John wasn't physically present with them all the time. And so in his absence, these defectors were swooping in, taking advantage of that, and preying upon their insecurities. And that can happen with us too, where we feel strong in church on Sundays, but weak at work during the week. The creeping doubts, the lingering fears, the unanswered questions. And I say all that because I know, right? Keeping the faith in an unseen God, it's hard. It's hard. I mean, I got to say, I'm jealous of John who actually got to see the resurrected Christ. And I'm jealous of those Christians back then who got to be spiritually led and fed by the one who was there with Jesus. But you know what? Even though that won't ever be our experience, John in this section of scripture tells us that we too can have a confident faith. A confident faith in a chaotic world of competing beliefs. Why? Because God has given us more than enough. And so today as I close, let me remind you about these two keys to a confident faith. It's the Jesus in history and it's the spirit in you. We build our faith upon the Jesus in history and the spirit in you. Actual events that really took place and the personal experience that we have with God. It's where the head and the heart come together. See, this is John telling us we have all that we need, that the eternal life and the assurance that we have in that, with God, there is an objective part and there's a subjective part. So on the one hand, we have a foundation to our faith, and don't let anyone convince you otherwise, a foundation that is rooted in history, not fantasy. That which you have heard from the beginning John says, these factual events that actually took place. And yes, the miracles happened along the way, miracles that defy the assumptions of 21st century science, but you know what? These miracles, including the resurrection itself, were confirmed by multiple eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses who are willing to stake their lives on it. And so the real-life history of Jesus and his great love for us, it's been preserved, it's been passed down to us throughout the centuries. You know what? It's a story worth believing in. It's a story worth believing in, and it's a story worth knowing more about. And so wherever you are on the Bible spectrum, right, whether you know a lot, a little, or nothing at all, my encouragement to all of us here is that we would keep on learning more. See, that's one of the things I really love about this church, right? That we try really hard to meet you where you are and to help you take your next step in your journey with Jesus, right? It doesn't matter where you are in that journey. It matters which way you're headed. To be honest, it's one of the reasons I love this series, that we are going through what the Bible teaches about Jesus. We're using journals. We're using discussion groups. We're using evening classes to help you in that progress, in knowing more about the Jesus in history and the actual events of his life, his death and resurrection. Because we truly believe, just like the Apostle John did, the more you know about Jesus, the more you're going to fall in love with Jesus. Which leads me to the other half of this equation of confident faith, and that's the spirit in you. The spirit in you and your personal experience of knowing Jesus and having intimate fellowship with the Father, the Holy Spirit of God who indwells every believer in Jesus Christ. He guides you into all truth. He equips you to spiritually discern truth from error. See, this is the way God has wired us, that what we know up here and what we sense in here, they're supposed to work together. What we know up here, what we sense in here, they're supposed to work. It's not an either or, it is a both and. Even though all of us probably, we over rely on one at the expense of the other. But see, a confident faith needs both. A confident faith needs an informed mind and a confident faith needs an inflamed heart. An informed mind and an inflamed heart. And so some of us, quite frankly, we need to work on that hard part. Opening up to God where even if we have been betrayed by others in the past, we're willing to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, to let him guide us into the truth and grow us in the faith. And so maybe for you this week, your big assignment isn't a matter of learning more about Jesus, but rather it's trusting more in Jesus and remaining, abiding with him. 
the real life stuff of taking our fears, our worries, our doubts, our insecurities and giving them over to him because when you do, God will work. He'll work in your life. Now it's gonna be according to his will, his way, his timing. It's gonna test our faith, it's gonna try our patience, but he will work when we trust him and when you have a personal experience with God like that and he shows up in amazing and unexpected ways, it is gonna grow your faith and it is gonna draw you closer to him. Right, that's the secret. That's where the fellowship is found. And so today, let us pursue this week these two keys for a confident faith in a chaotic world, believing in the Jesus in history and listening to the Spirit in you, right? And that we would do so with an informed mind and an inflamed heart that's all in with Jesus. Let's pray together. God, thank you that you have our best in mind. Thank you that you have these words written by John, preserved and passed down to us to speak to our lives. And God, there is this big gulf of time and culture and and language, and yet we live in the same hour, era. We live in the last hour. And there's spiritual opposition. You've led us to Jesus. We know forgiveness, we know fellowship. And yet we get rattled, we feel insecure. So thank you for speaking confidence, for warning us, but also encouraging us. And so God, may we take steps of knowing more, believing in the Jesus of history, but also listening to the spirit in us, that our head, that our heart would come together, that we would have an informed mind and an inflamed heart, and that you would grow our confidence in you. Jesus, you're all we have, but thank you that, Jesus, you are more than enough. God, for those who specially need an extra infusion of faith, of confidence, of peace this day, Holy Spirit, would you give that to them? This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That's a good word today, right? Yeah, so good. Hey, let's stand before we go. There's a song we sang uh, earlier called Build My Life. We thought this would be a great song to close our service with today. And uh, this, uh, the, the last part of the scripture today really gripped me. These last three words remain in him. And uh, what a hard thing that is to do and how so many, um, so very many things get in the way of us remaining in him. So we've been encouraged through the scriptures today with some very powerful things. So let's pray together that we could remain in him and just build our lives upon him as a firm foundation. And uh, I think I would be so pleased with that for us all to say that together today to him. So let's do that. Melody, take us
just the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever be. We live for you. Oh, we live for you. song and a word comes together. That finding confidence in a chaotic world comes when we build our lives upon Jesus, when we remain in him. And so that's my encouragement to you, that you would sink your roots deep in the Savior as God informs your mind and inflames your heart. Next week, we'll continue in First John, in our Confidence in the Chaos series, but as you go from here, may you go building your life upon our Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless you.